Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. All right, you ready to get into the message? Amen. Well, listen, we've been trying to help you grow in the areas of love, sex, and marriage by comparing myth with truth, and we're comparing it to the truth that's in this book, which is the author of Love, Sex, and Marriage, God. Next week, we're going to close out this series with a sermon entitled Asking for a Friend, and it is going to be, we've never done this before in our church, it's going to be a Q&A, a Q&A service, and so after the service today, DM us, email us, text us your questions on relationships. My wife and I will be on stage along with some single people. And so if you're single and you're looking for single people, I just grabbed the best single people I could and I put them on stage uh, next week. And so not only will you be able to learn from their singleness, but after the service, you can also ask them out. So, and then we've got some married people. Uh, we're going to be with us, and, uh, and I think it's going to be a great, great service. So please send us your questions. We're excited uh, to answer them and hopefully be a blessing to your life. And so far, we've discussed a lot. We've discussed dating. We've discussed being single. We've discussed being married. We've discussed how to help someone become the person God created them to be. We've even discussed divorce. That was a tough topic last Sunday, but we got a lot of great reports uh, from God ministering to people. But we have yet to discuss the thing that I know you all want to talk about. We have yet to discuss the most interesting of them all. We have yet to, to I'm just going to, hopefully the timer will run out by the time the sermon is done. And, but we have yet to discuss the thing you all came to church today to talk about. And that is the topic of sex. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. What do I do here? Do I, do I clap? Do I... Let me just tell you, if you thought talking about it in seventh grade health class was awkward, wait till you hear about it in church. Yes, sir. Let me give a a disclaimer. Obviously, we already gave disclaimer to the parents. If you're watching this online, disclaimer. Um, If uh, if your kids are are next to you while you're watching this and they already heard the word sex, my bad. Uh, Send them to the rooms. And let me also give a disclaimer to our first-time guests. If anybody's visiting Journey Church for the first time today, and you're like, oh, it's that kind of church. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you mean by, by that kind of church. But if you mean by that church, that we're not afraid to talk about the things that we really struggle with. You know, because you, you can go to a church and you can hear about the three, you know, dragons of the book of Revelations. And that can make a good movie. And Keanu Reeves would be great in it. But if, if you want to hear about the stuff that we're going through. Real life stuff, then, then yeah, you, you, found a, you found a great church. And, and so it's important. it's important to talk about this topic because you have to understand how the enemy uh, attacks people. The enemy is not an originator. He's a perverter. What that means is he cannot create strategies. What he does is he takes God's strategies and he turns them for his purposes. He takes God's plan. For example, if God wants to develop you, he will send people into your life. That's what God wants to do when he wants to develop you. When the devil wants to destroy you, he sends people into your life. Same, same plan, but perverted for a different person. When God wants you to experience spiritual breakthrough, he'll tell you to deny your flesh. Maybe go on a fast, you know, we'll stay off social media for a little bit. Stop watching so many, you know, TV shows for a little bit. We'll maybe go on a diet for a little bit. When the devil wants you to have a spiritual breakdown, he'll tell you to feed your flesh. In the same thread, on the same vein, when God wants to unite two people, God has a plan for uniting two people. When he wants two people to stay together and to never be apart, God has a plan for getting two people to stay together. And the plan that God has for getting two people to stay together is sex. Yes. And sex, I always tell married couples, if you want to make sure your marriage is good, make sure you are having lots and lots of sex. And on that note, every husband was like, this was the day to be (laughs) at church. Baby, I love this church. This is a, we'll fill out the first time guest card right now. We're, we're, this is the one. Simmer down because, you know, sermon ain't over yet. <laughs> so, 
And listen, that's not just me talking. That's the Bible talking. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And in case you think joined means married, look what 1 Corinthians 6.16 says. Joined does not mean married. Joined means sex. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written that the two will become one. So this is a bigger reference than just marriage. This is actually talking about the act of intimacy, sex. In fact, did you know that in the state of Florida, after you get married, your marriage is not sealed until you consummate the marriage. If you and your spouse do not have sex after the wedding, any one of them can go back to the judge and annul the marriage just like that. So even in the world, what seals a matrimony is sex. So... If God uses sex to bring two people together, then what do you think the devil will use to tear two people apart? Sex, which is why the number one reason for divorce in the United States is infidelity. Sex used to tear, which is why every time I'm in marriage counseling with somebody and they're going through issues and we go backtrack, when did it all start? It always starts with less and less sex as a couple. Once that goes, then all the other things start to follow. And it's for that exact same reason that in the series, when we've been talking about separating relationship myths from relationships, realities, traps from truth, facts from fantasies, I would do you a disservice if I didn't talk about one of the worst fantasies we have in love, sex, and marriage. This fantasy is responsible for more divorce than you know. This, this fantasy is responsible for more depression than you know. This fantasy is responsible for more sexual dissatisfaction and false expectations than you know. And of course, I am talking about the fantasy of pornography. Yup. And if you thought talking about sex was awkward in church, (laughs) wait till we talk about porn. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought maybe it would help break the ice a little bit if I told you my uh, my first experience uh, with pornography, because that's what everybody wants to hear from their pastor. (laughs) First time, first time they watched Maybe it'll help, or maybe they'll never come back to the church again. I'm not really sure. Let me just say this to those who are first-time guests. Maybe you have no church background. This is one of the few topics. Like, when I preach to you something about the Bible, if you don't believe the Bible, it's hard for you to believe me. But even in those situations, we have this person called the Holy Spirit who kind of gives you these, these nudges so I can count on him. But you can also shut off the Holy Spirit. And then if you do that, then it's really an opportunity to hear from God. You know, this is one of the few sermons where... I'm not saying that I could preach without the Bible. I'm just saying the Bible and the Holy Spirit are not the only ones making the argument that pornography is destructive to humanity. This is one of the few topics where science, all of the psychological, all of the neurological, all of the relationship studies have actually come out to prove over time that pornography is destructive to your mind and body, to the world, and to relationships. You can read. I'll give you some resources if you want to read about it. Uh, the Porn Myth, Your Brain on Porn, FightTheNewDrug.org is a great resource. Our Mind and Bodies, here are some studies. For both male and female porn consumers, their habit is often accompanied by problems with anxiety, body image issues, insecurity, and depression, even reducing the amount of gray matter in the person's brain. The gray matter is responsible, if you're curious, for intelligence and decision-making. So when that part of your brain gets smaller, you actually become less human and more primal. Not to talk about the damage it does to our world. Did you know that when you watch two people have sex in a movie or a show or, a, or, 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 or on a website, that oftentimes those two people are not actors? One of them is a victim. By some estimates, 4.8 million people are trapped or forced into sexual exploitation globally. Rescue Freedom, which is an anti-trafficking nonprofit, estimates or has reported and interviewed women who have come out of sexual trafficking, and 49% of them said they were being recorded while it was happening. So sometimes what you're watching isn't even two consenting adults, which is crazy to me because we'll stop eating meat because of the way they treat cows. Why do we not have the same ire about the pornography industry for the way the women are being treated? And you want to talk about the damage to the relationships? In Science Magazine, yo, the magazine's called Science. You know it's legit. (laughs) The Science Magazine, a study titled Till Porn Do Us Part found that adding, this is not religious, found that adding pornography to a marriage doubles the likelihood of divorce. Doubles the likelihood of divorce. And in case you're wondering if this message is for you, because some of y'all are either like, it's not me, it's my neighbor, or it's not me, I'm over it. I haven't done it in a week. 
And can we be real at church today? Breathe in, breathe out. It's going to be a good Sunday, I promise. What percentage of Christian men do you think struggle with pornography? Watch it once a month. A study was done. Research was done. 65% of Christian men watch pornography once a month. That's like has a Bible, listens to Hillsong, comes to church. Like 65%. Women, 15%, although women do it for different reasons, the research shows. Men watch it for pleasure. Women watch it so they're not left behind in the bedroom. They want to know what their husband's expecting so they can learn and educate themselves and try and get there, which breaks my heart. 17 to 30-year-olds, 79% of 17 to 30-year-olds Christian watch pornography once a month. And you might think, well, I'm not in that age group and I haven't done it in a while. Well, do you have kids? Because the average child will watch pornography by the time they are 11 years old. And that was when it happened to me. So I'll tell you my story. My dad had, uh, this is back when we had cable. And uh, I mean, cable was like the only thing that you could, you remember those days? Like if you wanted to watch something other than the seven channels, you had to get cable. And my dad had this thing in New York called the hot box. And the hot box is when you slip the cable guy, like, you know, like a little, like, I don't know how much you paid him, Pop, but, you know, he slipped him a little, <laughs> slipped him a little something, something, and, and the cable guy would do a little flickety-flack on the button box, and then, and then you got all the channels. And when I mean all the channels, I mean all the channels. And I remember my cousin was over the house one day, and he found out that my dad had the hot box. So he came to my room. He was like, yo, Jay, do you know that your dad has all the channels? I was like, yeah, he got ESPN, <laughs> Disney. <you know? laughs> he's like, nah, bro, he's got all the channels. I was like, what you mean? He brought me into the room, and we saw it. And I was like, oh. And then once I knew that it was there, whenever he would go off to work, I would go into the room, and I would, I would watch. And I remember one day, uh, I heard his, he came home early. And I remember his feet uh, coming up the stairs. We had three, there was three stories in New York. The houses are built up. And so I, I saw him coming up. I was like, oh. And so I shut off the TV, out, closed the door. I ran to my room. And then I remembered I didn't change the channel. <laughs> I'm like, and it's too late to go back now. Because if I go back, I'm busted. And so I just stayed in my room. I was like, please don't watch TV. Please go out again. He goes into his room. I'm like, please don't watch TV. He turns on the TV. <laughs> and you can hear it. You can hear it. My room is two rooms down from his. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, goes on. And he's like, huh? What? Sets it off. And then he comes into my room. <laughs> and he's like, JJ, were you in my room? And in that moment, I had an opportunity <laughs> to come clean, to be free. But I didn't. <laughs> I remembered that downstairs, my Uncle Jose lived there. <laughs> and so I told my dad, I said, no. But I think I saw Uncle Jose. <laughs> Crazy part of this story is Uncle Jose is now a member of the church and is watching online right now. And, bro, I, my bad. I know you went through a lot for that. Now that I'm in my 30s, I can finally admit it. It was me, and I'm sorry. And that's my story. And uh, as funny as that is, and it's true, I wish I could say that it ended there. But it didn't. One exposure followed me throughout my entire life, even my Christian life, even after I became a Christian, it followed me. It followed me even into my ministry after I became ordained. It followed me even into my marriage after I became a husband. It followed me even into my parenthood after I became a father and stole so many years and mental peace and spiritual peace and from my life and stole a lot from me and almost destroyed my ministry and almost destroyed my marriage. And thankfully, my story didn't end there by the grace of God. And uh, I'm going to share with you how God delivered me, freed me, and hopefully at the end of this message, 
God can do the same thing in your life. Because what burdens me so much with this message is the realization of how well I was at hiding it. And if we're being honest, there's a lot of people in the room today and watching online who have gotten so good at hiding it. But while you're hiding it, you're also dying from it. And today, I believe God is going to begin a process that is going to set you free and reclaim your purpose, your marriage, your parenthood, your life. So in order to do that, you know, the Bible says that the truth will set us free. But in order for the truth to set us free, listen, if the truth is the key, then we have to first find the lock. And so when we talk about the truth, we have to first identify the lies. And so I'm going to give you four, four, four things today. We're going to go through them quickly. First thing I want to give you is four expectations that pornography sets on sex that is going to ruin sex for you if you're not careful. It's going to ruin marriage for you. Then I'm going to give you four myths that pornography teaches us. And then I'm going to give you the four steps to find freedom. So I want to go into the expectations first. Uh, False expectations. Pornography sets some false expectations in our life. Number one, it sets a false expectation of what a person's body should look like. If you keep watching porn stars get naked on a screen and you see that naked body more than you see your wife or husband's naked body, you are going to expect your wife or husband's naked body to look like that naked body. And when that naked body doesn't look like the naked body you saw on TV, you find that person less attractive, which leads to less marital satisfaction. But I want to tell you, there might not be anything wrong with that person's body. Well, they gained some weight. Oh, and, and you, are you good? And you just been, you've got abs popping out all over the place. Maybe it's not their body that's wrong. Maybe it's your expectations that's wrong. Maybe, maybe you don't need to help them get more attractive by buying them a Peloton or implants. But maybe you can find your wife more attractive if you watch less porn. It's going to be that kind of Sunday today. Like, I'll try and make jokes, like, in the middle of it so we can all laugh and stuff. But we got to talk about this stuff. <laughs> Another false expectation that porn uh, creates is it's a false expectation of what sex should look like. I, I remember uh, this movie from the 90s. I don't know if you remember. It was starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was called The Last Action Hero. And it was when he was his action character, and then he came into real life. And then the things that he would do in the action movie didn't work in real life. So like in the action movie, he would shoot three bullets at the trunk of a car. And what happens in the movies when you shoot a big explosion? And then he got sucked through the screen, and in real life... And he shot three bullets at the truck, and the car just kept driving. <laughs> and he was like, how come it doesn't work like this in the movies? And he got dissatisfied with reality because he was specting Hollywood. I just want to let you know that when you spend minutes doing with your spouse, and then you compare what you spent minutes doing to what you spent hours watching, it doesn't compare. Like, people's bodies don't bend like that, like in real life. <laughs> and so that's why, here's another study, listen. Porn-addicted men suffer from erectile dysfunction, that's why I said it in church, more than regular men because the satisfaction in the, the fantasy in their mind can never compare to reality. Another false expectation, this is going to help somebody, all the guys who were like, yeah, we got to have more sex, you heard the pastor. Here's another false expectation porn sets. Are you ready to have sex available at all times? Yeah, because when you were single and you were feeling it, you took care of it. But your wife isn't going to turn on like your tablet used to, just when you want it. And so when she's not in the mood, all of a sudden we think there's something wrong with her or there's something wrong with the marriage or even worse, there's something wrong with me. She doesn't find me attractive anymore. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with your expectations. And then the final expectation that pornography sets is a false expectation to get yours. The lie of pornography is that sex exists as your, sex is, that sex is first the priority for your pleasure. And so that means whatever the fetish, whatever the thing that you prefer, if your wife can't do that for you or if your husband can't do that for you, it's, it's, you almost get offended because they won't do what the girl or the guy on the screen does for you. And then when they refuse to do what you want them to do, we get manipulative And we say, well, if you really loved me, you would do these things that are going to make me happy. But I think you got love confused with lust. Love is I will do anything for you. Lust is I want to take something from you. 
Which, on the same note, because I know everybody has questions, hey, Pastor, what does the Bible teach about what's okay and not okay in the bedroom when you're married? I'm going to make it real simple for you. Anything that your partner is uncomfortable with is off limits. Because when we lay down our body in a bedroom, it's a metaphor of Jesus who laid down his body on the cross. And what made the cross powerful was that he wanted to do it. Love has to be based on comfort, want, and desire. And so if they're not comfortable doing it, it's not, gonna, it's not good. Those are the four expectations, and we got to talk about that. We have to address them and break them down. Now I want to talk to you about the myths. Every time I talk to sometimes young people and then other times older men or, or women are able to be open about it. I don't have those kinds of meetings with women. My wife will, but an older man, and they'll share. And here's some of the myths that they have. Here's myth number one. I, I, I do it because it's an outlet, I got all this frustration inside me. I just need to get it out. And if I don't, it's good. You know, it's not good. It's an outlet. It's an outlet. I just, it's just an outlet. But, but it's a release. I need to release that tension from me. But look what Galatians 5.19 says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The results, not the release, the results. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Listen, it's not an outlet. You ready for the truth? The truth is it's an inlet. Listen, if a dog is barking and you feed the dog to get him to stop barking, the dog will stop barking. But what you've just done by feeding the dog is you've made him stronger. You're not getting it out of your system. You're reinforcing the system. Here's another myth. This is going to blow your mind. (laughs) Here's a myth. Ready? Because this is what porn tells you and this is what the world tells you. Sex is a need. It's a need. You hear it all the time. I've got sexual needs. Needs? Like, like need, need? Like, do we have the same definition of need? Because, like, let me give you some needs. Water. <laughs> Oxygen. <laughs> Sleep. Shelter. These are needs. Like, don't get me wrong. Sex is great, and if you're married, you should do more of it. But, but need? As in you can die from it if you don't have it? Like, I've heard of people dying from starvation. And I've heard of people dying from dehydration. And I've heard of people dying of suffocation. And I've heard of people dying from sleep deprivation. But I've never, ever heard of people dying because they weren't having sex. Like, could you imagine that? You go to work one day, be like, did you hear we're having a bill? <laughs> and be like, no, what happened? Be like, he didn't have sex for a year and just blew up one day. <laughs> just, just blew up. Well, that's what happens when you don't have sex. You make you blow up. <laughs> oh, man, sex ain't a need. You want the truth? Here's the truth. Sex is a gift. It's a gift that God gave us. And if, here's the Bible verse for that. It's a whole book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. Read it. It's like rated our Bible. It's very, very erotic in nature. Y'all didn't even know that existed in your Bible. It talks about fondling breasts and stuff. It's a true. It's in there. Yes. It's my favorite Bible. Just <laughs> My wife. Sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. Here's another one. Here's a myth. Are you ready? Here's a big one. I do it. I do it because, go ahead, put it on the screen. I do it because it's better than cheating on my spouse. It's it's better, pastor. I I do this because I don't want to do that. So it's better than cheating on my spouse. You're not going to like this one. This is when we lose half the church. Matthew 5, 28, I got to preach the Bible. But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her. Are you ready for the truth? The truth is it is cheating. Say ouch or amen. You get either one. Okay. And here's what I think. And And there's two ways to interpret that. That it's literally cheating or that it will lead to cheating. Either way, that's a big warning flag. Here's what I think God was saying. I think God was saying, if you do it in your heart, you've already done it because all deeds start in the heart. But if you're not careful, what's in your heart is eventually going to, because it's the number one rule of driving. When you're in a car, what do they tell you? Look where you're 
So you will always go where you're. So if you look in that way, one day you're going to go that way. Which is, are you ready for this? Another research. Couples who watch porn individually, this is not like a couple, but individually, are 300% more likely to be unfaithful. That's a fact. Because we go where we're looking. I got all the sources too. Don't cite me. I, will, I got the sources written in my notes here, okay? Listen, this is what happened to King David, 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace. As he what? Looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. 2 Samuel 11, 3. He sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Verse 5, so he ended up going where he was looking. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, uh uh-oh, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. What we just did had consequences, which leads me to the fourth and final myth. Here's the fourth and final myth. Porn is free. Now, porn hub might be free, but the truth is porn has a price. And either you'll pay it, your spouse will pay it, or your children will pay it. But it always has a price. David lost three of his sons. Four, three of his sons. The very first one with Bathsheba passed away after being born, and two after because of Absalom. This was a result of, it's like, that's not fair that someone else would pay the price for David's deeds. Are you kidding me? I wish we lived in a world where our actions didn't affect people we love. But it always does. It always does. So let me give you four steps. This is, and let me just tell you, they're not easy. Each one is going to require vast amounts of courage. And it's going to require you doing something bold. And the first step is confess to God. Confess to God. Psalms 32.5, here's what David said. I'm looking at David's story. We're going to get the next four from David's story and my story. So what you're going to hear now is David's story, how he got free, because he wrestled with this his whole life, and how God freed me. And the first step is confess to God. Psalms 32.5, finally, somebody say finally. Finally. Can I just, I put that in caps because I feel like that was a prophetic word for somebody in this room today. Something you've been wrestling with for decades, God's saying over your life, finally. Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Guys, this is how it happened for me. One day, I don't know when exactly, but I said this prayer and I was like, God, I'm ready to start a new life. Forgive me for all my sins. Forgive me for coming back to this thing. And guys, ever since that day and that prayer, I have never wrestled with sexual impure thoughts ever again. I totally made that up. That's not true. (laughs) That's not how it happens at all. Somebody was like, amen, I I can do that. No. That's how we want it to work. I confess and boom, it's out of my system. But if that were the case, you would have beat this three years ago. That's actually not how it worked. I'm going to tell you how confession worked for me because we have a bad idea of confession. First, you have to understand how temptation affects your life. It starts with deception. And deception is when the devil tells you, this is good. Whatever it is he's trying to get you to do, this doesn't just have to do with sexual stuff, but whatever it is you're doing, this is good. Or another version of this is good that a lot of Christians use, this was the last time. This is the last time it's good. And once he gets you to believe that what you're doing is harmless, then he comes at you with temptation. Because if it's not harmful, then why don't you, and here's what he tells you, do it. Yeah. You get the winky face. Do it. And then after you do it, the same devil that told you it was good, the same devil that told you to do it comes at you with condemnation. And he'll say this. I can't believe you did it. And then when he gets you to think that, 
he comes right back to deception and says, this is who you are. And this cycle has a name, and the cycle is called shame. And he traps you here because once he gets you to believe that this is who you are, now you have a reinforcing narrative that keeps you trapped in your behavior. Confession breaks this when you do confession the right way. Confession starts, we're going to go to red for the blood. <laughs> we're gonna go to red. Confession, not playing, but I specifically asked for red. <laughs> With truth. Confession is this. This is bad. What I did, it wasn't good. But, because look at John, the verse real quick, 1 John 1, 9. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. So if this is bad and I confess, then all of a sudden I have found forgiveness. And I'm forgiven not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. Once, that's weird. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> there you go. You guys will follow. <laughs> now, the next step is going to sound similar because this one is you shouldn't have done it. But this isn't condemnation that comes from the devil. This is called conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's similar in what it says, but it's not similar in what it leads to. Because condemnation says this is who you are. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, he comes back down here to truth. And guess what the truth is? This is not who you are. And there's a word for this, guilt. Guilt and shame are different. Shame is an attack on your identity. Guilt, it says, I wish I had not done what I did, but who I am is not what I did. And so I feel guilty as a believer that I did this thing, but I am not what I did. And you go through this cycle enough times you find freedom. And I remember when I first discovered, when that first became real in my life, that Bible verse, I would go through this cycle and it'd be a couple days and I'd go through this cycle again. And then all of a sudden it'd be a couple of weeks and I'd go through this cycle again. And all of a sudden it'd be a couple months and it'd go through this cycle again. The next thing you know, it's been years and you haven't had to go through the cycle. That's what it is. Every time you fail, every time you mess up, you go, I'm sorry for what I did, but what I did is not who I am. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am pure. I am holy. What God sets apart, no man can, can, can take it. My salvation is secure. Cure. I know who I am. This is the first step. Confess to God. Now, listen, I can't tell you when the cycle started, but I can tell you when my cycle ended, and it was in step two. First step is to confess to God. The second step is you have to confess to the right people. And this is when it ended for me. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. You have to confess to another person in order to find healing. But I know why we don't confess. You know why we don't confess? Because this is the worst addiction. This addiction has more shame on it than any other addiction. You can sit down with a friend and be like, yo, I'm an alcoholic. And that friend will be like, bro, for real? Yeah, I'll help you out. You can sit down with another woman and be like, hey, listen, I have a gambling problem. And everybody's like, oh, no problem. That's so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for coming open with that. But you sit down with somebody and say, I have a porn slash sex addiction. Can you feel it? Yeah. Why? There's more shame on it. So I, I get why we didn't do it, but we have to do it if we want it to end because the Bible tells us that healing comes when we confess to one another. And listen, it can't just be no, no like, like boom, boom confession. Let me, get, let me tell you how to confess. It's got to be honest and consistent confession. Honest and consistent. Put it on the screen so they know. Honest and consistent confession. What do I mean by honest? Listen, I was a church kid. I grew up in those church circles where you hold hands. And then when you're done praying, you squeeze the hand and it goes around. And then I always remember, there'll always be one kid. You squeeze his hand, and he'd be like, I'd like to pray for unspoken. 
All the other kids were like, just say porn, bro. <laughs> just say porn. Unspoken. I got an unspoken struggle. Unspoken, bro. Stop watching porn. <laughs> we all, we, we do it too. We need help too. Like, if your confession isn't honest, you're not going to find freedom. You, matter of fact, write this down if you're taking note. You are only as strong as you are honest. Wow. Got to be honest. And it's got to be consistent. This is where I failed, but it finally fixed in my life. You can't, someone be like, yeah, I did that. I had one conversation five years ago and told somebody I struggled. No. You have to come back to that person when you make mistakes over and over and over. Why? Because that's called accountability. But be careful when you do this, because if you're not ready to change, listen, accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to change. And so that person's just trying to help you. That person just trying to speak honestly in your life. But if you're not ready for change, it's going to feel like an attack, especially if it comes from your spouse, which is, let me talk to married people now. When I say the right people, if you're single, someone of the same gender, sex is important. If you're single, maybe you don't have friends, Christian friends, go to a Christian counselor, go to a counselor, share with him, get help. If you're sick, you need a doctor. Okay, if, but if you're married, in addition to those people, I know this scares you, but you have to tell your spouse. You have to tell your spouse. I can't tell you when this cycle started for me, but I can tell you when it ended, when I had that conversation with Liz. That was the last time. And it was not easy because the first time I confessed, it was before we got married. You can take this away now, Ernesto. The first time I got married, before we got married, I did the whole honest and open thing. I was like, hey, before we get married, you should know I have a struggle with pornography. She was like, but are you free from it? And I was like, yeah. I was like, if that's what it takes to get married. (laughs) So I was like semi-honest. Then when we got married, I couldn't shake it. And so at a point in our marriage, I told her, I said, babe, I got to be honest with you. I wrestled with pornography. And then she did not handle it well. (laughs) She would be the first person to tell you that she has grown from that moment. She sent me to the couch. She was like, you're going to have to sleep on the couch. And I was like, I will not sleep on the couch. I was like, I'm sleeping on the bed. She was like, then I'm sleeping on the couch. I was like, then I'm sleeping on the couch. I just followed her all over. No, we had like a 200-square-foot apartment. I was just like, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you go, I'm going. I'm not going to let you give up on this marriage, girl. Wherever you go, I'm going. And she was like, fine. You can sleep on the same bed, but don't touch me. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. The next day, we had a conversation. She was so hurt from it. She was like, just never do it again. It scared the life out of me. So I, I didn't do it again until I did it again. But because, she, and she's comfortable with me sharing this, but because she didn't create a safe space for me, I couldn't tell her. Because last time she threatened to have me sleep on the couch. Who knows what happens this time? So years went by. So one day after a, a 21 days of prayer and fasting, which I've been doing since I was 17. I had a conversation with her, just in case you're trying to put a timeline on this. (laughs) I had a conversation with her and I said, hey, remember that time years ago when I said I stopped? She said, yeah. I said, I didn't. And you know what she did then? She hugged me. She gave me mercy, grace, she was strong. She asked me tough questions. I had to answer tough questions. But that was the time it broke because that is how God changes people. See, you thought that you don't sin so you don't go to hell, but that's not really what changes behavior. What happens is God's love fills your heart so much that when you think about sinning, you go, but how can I repay the love that he showed me with that kind of action? So before, when I wouldn't watch porn to not get in trouble, now when she gave me that love and, the, and she said, and the next time it happens, if it happens, tell me. I thought, I don't want to hurt her because I don't want to repay that kind of love with this kind of disrespect. Fear is a terrible motivation for transformation. Love is the greatest motivation for transformation. When you feel God's love, then you go, how can I repay that kind of a love? So husbands, wives, you might have a real tough conversation after today. And my only 
thing to you is, do you want to be free? Wives, when they tell you, you're going to feel hurt, you're going to feel betrayed, you're going to feel angry. Here's the thing you don't expect to feel, but you will. You're going to feel insecure. You're going to wonder, what is it about me that he can't get from me? You're going to feel insecure. And you have the right to feel all of those feelings. In addition to those feelings, feel his pain and the courage it took to have that conversation with you. I'll give you the last two quick, because that's, that's fine, but that's not what, that's not, it didn't stop there. I had to do two other things. First is I had to set up guards. So this is number three. I had to set up guards. First Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's what you can't think. I've overcome it. I've beaten it. There's no way this can get me again. Because that's what David was thinking when he was on the rooftop when he should have been at war. He got comfortable. This is the lesson we get from Samson's life. Samson was a Bible character who was tremendously strong, but who was taken over by a 120-pound woman named Delilah. No offense, Delilah. <laughs> and so even in Samson, who's strong, he, so I set up guards. Y'all. Listen, I walk around the world thinking that I can fall at any moment. And so because of that, I set up guards in my life, stuff that you would think is extreme. I'll go ahead and tell you. First off, I don't have one-on-one meetings with women. Don't do it. Don't do lunch meetings. I don't do office meetings. If it's a female, she wants to talk to me. We've got tremendous female leaders and pastors at our church who are great. If you don't believe in female pastors, meet Pastor Jenny. She's the bomb. And so you can have a talk with her, my wife. And so we can do that. I don't, I don't have to be there. I just want to put myself in that position. Um, I've got blocks on my, on my laptop uh, and my phone. I mean, these, these blockers are like intense, yo. Like I, don't, I can't even have Google images. Like I can't look up any image on my phone. I can't even type in words that you would think are normal. Like, I, like if I wanted to like check up something on my foot, like I can't even Google the word foot. I'm like, I guess that's a thing. I guess I can't. I can't even go, there's, there's, everything is blocked on it. And then to unlock it, there's a password. Liz has the password. And she's the only one that has that password. The thing that runs on my software, it takes random pictures of my screen and emails them to her. <laughs> so like sometimes advertisements will pop up on the right. I'm like, swipe up, block it. Go from the screen. I'm like, I can't take a screenshot of this, you know? Or like if it, I'll have a talk with her, I'll be like, hey, I was on this and something else popped up and it wasn't, no. And so... Is that, uh, here's one that sounds a little extreme. I don't watch rated R movies that have nudity in them. There's this thing called IMDB. I look up the movie beforehand and find out what it's rated R for. If there's a nude scene in it, I don't watch it. Because me, you can watch it. This is, I'm not judging you. Watch all the rated R movies you want. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? I don't know if I should have said that. But <laughs> I, I will say, I'm just saying, I can't. I don't believe in corporate legalism. You know what corporate legalism is? Nobody do this. Nobody do that. Like, like I don't believe it because how the Pharisees behaved in the Bible. But what I do believe is in personal legalism. I'm going to set up laws and rules for myself because I know myself. And this one is probably, you'll probably laugh at this one. When I go to the gym to work out, I don't wear my glasses. I don't, I don't go with my glasses. Because sometimes, you know, people are dressed how, the, most, the most comfortable way that they want to dress. And sometimes the most comfortable way they want to dress is barely dressed at all. <laughs> and so, like, I can't, if you're far away, I can't even see you without the glass. It makes working out hecka hard. Like, I'd be like, is that a 25? Nope, a 50. Okay, let's just count. <laughs> we'll just get it done anyway. <laughs> Set up guards. Set up guards. Listen, and you say, JJ, are you that weak, Pastor? Are you that weak? Did you have to do all those things? Not normally, but who knows? One day, I might be. And did you know that sexual temptation is the one temptation that God doesn't tell you to fight? He doesn't. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee. Flee, not fight it. That's your problem. You've been trying to fight it. You got to flee. Flee from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Look at the next verse. Because every other sin that a man commits or woman outside the body is outside the body. But the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. In other words, sexual desire is a part of me. I can't run away from it. So the only way to flee from it is to not put myself in a position that awakens it. We'll go to the last one and we'll end here. Last step, let God 
heal your wound. Here's the last step. Step number four. Let God heal your wound. Put it on the screen. Let God heal your wound. You didn't know this, but when that person touched you when you were younger, see, because we all have a different story of how it started. Some of us made the choice. Most of us did not choose to be exposed to the thing that we were exposed to. Sometimes it was someone who touched us inappropriately at a young age. Other times, like my story, I was exposed to something at a young age I wasn't ready to see. But what you don't know is that when that happened to you, you became sexually wounded. There was a hurt inside of you. I'll never forget my dog, Blue, when he pulled his little leg uh, at an accident. We would try and pick him up to help him. But every time we tried to touch him because he was wounded, anytime we got close, he would snap at us. He wasn't a bad dog, but his wound was making him act out. A lot of times our behavior comes from the wound that we're trying to cover up, the wound that we're trying to protect. See, you were rejected by a lot of women when you were younger, and so now you've got this woman on the screen who will do anything that you ask for. It's your wound. You were abused, taken advantage of when you were younger, and so here's pornography's opportunity for you to be in control. It's your wound. And you need to hear this because this is the thing right here that sealed the deal for me. You guys can play, turn on the piano. This is the thing that sealed for, for me. Whenever I was in church, people would say, oh, you have to be delivered. JJ, you struggle with porn, you got to be delivered from that. Amen. I believe in the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I believe that there's spirits of lust. I believe that there's spirits of adultery. I believe in all those things. Yes, I have to be delivered from that. And then they would tell me, you have to be free from that. You have to be freed from that. Pray that the chains will break over your life. Pray that the, that the demonic influence would break over your life, that you would no longer be addicted. But what no one ever told me and what I needed to hear and I didn't find out until late in life was that I just didn't need to be delivered and I didn't just need to be freed. I also needed to be healed. And I want to talk to you today. Nobody's told you this. You don't just need freedom and deliverance. You need healing. That should have never happened to you as a child. God wants to heal you today. 1 Peter 2, 24. He personally, Jesus, carried the load of our sins in his own body when he died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live a good life from now on. Look at verse 24. Next one. For his wounds have healed ours. All over this building, would you bow your head? I want to talk to the wounded. Who knows, after this service, there might be some tough conversations happening between husbands and wives. And if that's the case, spouse, I pray that you would not look at a worthless person, but a wounded person. Wounded. There's healing in this room today. If that's you in this room and you've been wounded, I want to pray for you right now. But, I, but I, here's the thing. Every eye is closed, so this is between you and the Lord. I just need you to be honest because you're only strong as you are honest. So nobody's looking. If you're single, I want you to raise up your hand and say, and say I've been wounded. I've been wounded. Just I've been wounded. Somebody hurt me when I was younger. I've been wounded. I saw something I shouldn't have. I've been wounded, and it led me to some bad decisions, but I'm ready to receive my healing. And let me tell you, you can't fight a wound. Healing takes time. So after this prayer, you're not going to be healed, but you're going to begin your healing process after this prayer. So all over this room, if you want to, you're only as strong as you are honest. If you want to be honest, when I say three, I want you to just raise your hand up slightly. I'll see it. God will see it. Your neighbor won't. I've been wounded, and I want healing all over this building on three. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your future. It's affecting your purpose, your ministry. Here's another thing. If, if you're married... You don't, you don't want to raise your hand, but you're sitting next to your spouse, I challenge you to squeeze their hand as a signal. Babe, we got something to talk about after service when we get home. But I've been wounded. I've been wounded. You can reach for that hand when I say three, you just squeeze it. But there is healing in the room today, I believe in. All over this room, if that's you, it's either going to be a hand raise or a squeeze. You've been wounded. God wants to heal you. One, two, Three, right now, go ahead and show me that hand if you've been wounded sexually. Come on, I see that hand. I love the courage. 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 Go ahead and put your hand down. 
Let me pray for you right now. Father God, you've seen all the hurt. You've seen all the pains. Father, only you know what took place when they were younger. Only you know what, what wounds they've had to endure. Only you know the hurt that they've had to go through. Father, I pray right now that you would restore. Father, I pray right now that you would do what your word said you would do, that you would begin the healing process, that you would begin the restoration of their identity. They are not what happened to them. They are not what their uncle did to them. They are not what that boy next door did to them. They are healed, forgiven, chosen, holy, purposed, wonderful, beautiful, made in the image of their father. But Father, we just declare the healing promises of your word right now. Whatever happened in the past, whatever addiction or bondage, you took that all up on the cross. And now by your stripes, we are healed. We receive that healing today. In Jesus' name, keep your head bowed and eye closed if you would. There's other people in this room. You need to take it one step further. You need to confess to God. You need to come back to him. You're far from him. And your relationship with him right now is between you and him. Jesus, I want you in my heart. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need salvation in my life right now. If that's you and you want to start new today, remember the first step was confess to God, Jesus, I need you. I want you to do one more courageous thing. When I count to three, I want you to raise your right hand as a signal to me and to God, I'm ready to come home to you, Jesus. All over this building right now, if you want Jesus in your life, shoot your right hand up to the sky. One two, three. Right now, high up your hand. I want to see your hand. You want Jesus in your life. Come on, I see that hand. Come on, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see it. Praise the Lord. Go ahead, put your hand down. Let me pray for you right now. And if you prayed that, if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And so that you don't feel alone, the whole church is going to join us in it. So we can do this together as a family, the way God intended. Father God, come on, say it with me. Father God, coming back home to you. I confess, I don't have it all together. But that's okay, because you do. You made a way for me to experience life. Forgive me for my past. I'm ready to take the first step to a new life in you, Jesus. Amen. Would you put your hands together for the five people that raised their hand? Come on. Come on, stand to your feet and help me welcome them home, Journey Church. Come on, welcome them home to the family of God. Amen. On. And I think there's no better way to end today with worship, giving him all of our past, all of our wounds, all of our hurts. Come on, let's sing oh, oh. Let's sing oh, oh as we worship and lay it all down. We give it to Father God. Our past, our hearts, our history. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.